Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Divorce Dad Diaries, and I'm your host, Stéphane Jutra. Well, a lot of things happened the past couple of weeks, and uh, I was looking actually at uh, the podcast, and this is actually episode 10, so I have a bit of difficulty imagining that there's already been 10 episodes, even if they've been spread out a little bit more. Initially, I was thinking of doing an episode a week, and obviously life kind of got into the way of my recording, and COVID happened, and even then I thought, oh, I'll have a lot more time to do since uh, to do podcasting since I'll be home, and it seems that the rest of my life caught up to me too, so I'm really trying to do um, at least a couple of podcasts a month if I can. That's the goal. But it's very exciting to see that after, what, about nine months that I launched a podcast and uh, almost uh, 600, uh, 600, 1600 downloads, which in my mind is quite an achievement. I mean, it's not like I've been promoting the podcast everywhere. And yeah, I guess it's mostly word to mouth and also people discovering the podcast a little bit. So I'm really happy uh, how it is and definitely looking to grow it even more and try to reach more and more people. And uh, I'm also very happy that I got uh, a couple of emails and uh, questions and also suggestions from some of, of you uh, listeners. So that was really nice to uh, actually get feedback and I love it. So if ever you think about you know wanted to leave feedback or question, please don't hesitate to do it. I'm always more than happy to see them and I respond to them pretty much right away if you have anything. So uh, 10 episodes, 1600 downloads. I'm really happy and I really wanted to thank you all listeners that made that possible. So I mean I know you've been uh, following me and my episodes and uh, I hope you enjoy them and thank you again for all the listens that you gave it and hopefully uh, there'll be many many more and I'll have you with me uh, for many, many more years. So thank you. And uh, I'm trying to get the, this podcast uh, going more and I have a bunch of ideas as well. Um, there should be some interesting stuff coming up. Like I said, feel free to send me some questions. And I added actually something interesting on the website. So before on the www.divorcedaddiaries.com. So if you go on there, you have a contact page. And initially, you could send emails there. And I found this little cool WordPress plugin, which you can actually leave voicemail. So uh, what I'm asking you guys and girls is if you have any questions or anything, uh, you can send me a voicemail and put your question there. And uh, I would really love to hear from you. And I was even thinking at one point I could do an episode with all your questions and try to answer them. Again, it can be anything about the show, if you have any comments about it, if you have any suggestions or even any questions, you know, questions for me, questions for the divorce dads in general, or some things you've been wondering, or I don't know, maybe some questions you always wanted to ask, but uh, never did before. So that's the opportunity. Please feel free to send me a voicemail. And you can mention in there if you want to, you can put your name and email address. If you want to be anonymous as well, it's not a problem at all. So please feel free to uh, get in contact with me. I love it. So this week, uh, I decided to talk about, I think, a pretty huge topic. 
And funny enough, I'm really surprised at that. I haven't really had an episode on this yet, even though I only have 10 episodes. But still, it's something that I'm kind of talk uh, throughout many of the past episodes. But this one will be kind of focused on that. It's actually uh, about money. I mean, we all know that money is a big thing. And it can be a source of uh, a lot of uh, heated discussions, a lot of uh, disagreement, and also money can also cause, uh, you know, people to uh, split up and uh, divorce, as we know. So, so it's pretty big. And even if it's not the the, the cause of a separation, is something that usually, once you decide to go through a separation and divorce, it's obviously one of the key topic. Money becomes. Uh, necessarily an issue because at that point pretty much everything you want to do to go through a divorce costs money and officialize it so so this episode will be a bit more focused on that a bit of my experience and how it happened on my side uh as you know i love stats so i won't bore you for you know hours with stats but the first thing i did is you know what let me just kind of google this divorce and and money and see uh, what comes up and um, it was quite interesting the first thing i found is uh you know americans who say money is a top issue they fight about with their spouse funny enough i have this graph in front of me and depending how much debt the debt level that the couple is in uh, there's more and more i guess uh disagreement and fights about money. So here I see that if there's less than 10,000 bucks in debt, well, basically it's just about 23% of the fights that are about money. But if you go up and up and up, and if, uh, for example, there's more than $50,000 in debt, the disagreement and the fights can go up to like 48% of all the fights that happen, they're related to, uh, to money. So it's quite interesting. I guess it makes sense because, like I said, it's it's a big thing in a relationship, and I mean, you need money for everything, and 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 often it's maybe difficult, and it's not always the case that both partners or parties kind of agree. I mean, it happens. I know I have a lot of my friends too that either their wife or the husband uh, like to spend, and usually the other one is more kind of conservative and like to save money, and uh, there's always those things about. You know, what do I do if I want to buy a big item? And I even heard a story of people buying cars without telling their spouse. So, yeah, so money, it's, it's a big source of, uh, of the fights there. So it doesn't have to be like as big as buying a car. But I think it's interesting to maybe see where does money stand. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that can happen, too. We're talking about the spending, but even the savings. Do you have a joint bank account or separate uh, bank accounts? That also, depending on the couples, some couples I that I know, they go out and they still, after many, many years of being married, they still split the bill. So they'll take the bill and they'll split it and it will come out from their account. Uh, so they have different bank accounts. And there's other couples that everything is put together. In my case, uh, we, we had a joint account and didn't really make a difference between my money and her money. Uh, I was the one that was working most of the time. But at the end of the day, the way I saw it and why a joint account made more sense, it's obviously a lot more convenient. So you don't have to take care of transferring money back and forth and making sure there's enough money for the, the rent or the mortgage or for anything anyway. So it's a joint account. Everything goes in there. And, uh, you know, if you need money, just take it out. And there's no uh, there's nothing else to really uh, be concerned. So that's the good part of it. Uh one of the disadvantages, I guess, of that too is the same thing. It's just everything goes in and 
it's like anything else. When everything goes well, there's not a problem. But when uh, money gets low or when there's one person that spends more than the other one, that can actually cause fights and friction. And there's not really any control of it. So it can be, you know, one person putting all the money in and the other one taking it all. So so that's always a risk. So there's a lot of trust that have to be uh, in place uh, when you have that. So by having different bank accounts, you take care of your money, I take care of my money, you pretty much have uh, more control on that as well. And and basically have common debts and stuff to pay, but at the same time, uh, there might be a bit less fights because everybody takes care of their own money and uh, you just put whatever you have to put in uh, to pay the debts and pay things that have to be paid. Uh, on the other side, again, having separate bank account, this advantage too is you can transfer money to pay, for example, the mortgage or the rent, but sometimes might be someone that pays more than the other. What do you do if the other person doesn't transfer the money in there and the mortgage is due tomorrow? So there's a lot more coordination and another different level of trust that the other person will put it there. So so I can't say that there's a good uh, option and a bad option. Looking back, obviously, when, <laughs> like I said, when everything goes well, it's fine, doesn't matter. But uh, when uh, basically problems start to arise and you talk about separation, obviously having joint accounts has its challenges. You know, the trust is uh, often gone and you might wake up with some surprises of money missing or, you know, one of the spouse decide to take our money for whatever reason without telling the other one. And the problem is, until you actually get a divorce or you have like, you know, we get into an agreement. I mean, there's nothing really that can stop one spouse to take money out and uh, just spend it, right? So uh, obviously when you get to the agreement level and you try to uh, do a plan to separate the money and the assets and everything else, you can bring it up, but there's, you know, there's no obligation and there's nothing that that will be there to kind of pay back the money that maybe one spouse took. So it, that, again, is another source of fights and 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 having that in the agreement. So that's always a, a bit more tricky. So another stats I was talking about, you know, before, what do you do when you buy different items? Do you let your spouse know? Or did it happen before that you bought big, big items without telling them? I, again, found another stat that says there's one in three people who argue with their spouse about money that they actually confess, one out of three that confess that they have hid purchases from their spouse. I guess just not to get into argument or maybe they don't want to to know. So so it seems to be uh, quite a big percentage. I mean, talking about 30%. And uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So that said, one thing I, I wouldn't say I learned, but that I kind of... Uh, took out of this whole experience of separation and divorce is uh, really knowledge is power. <laughs> and that applies for both parties. I mean, in my case, I was the one taking care of the finances and my ex-wife basically wasn't too interested in that. Even when we tried to to kind of sit down and discuss about it, it was never a topic of interest. And uh, so I was always the one taking care of it. But now looking back, I wish that we both would have been like really involved in the finances. And maybe that would have helped when it was time for divorce. Because what happened is when there's one spouse that takes care of it, like let's say in my case, uh, when it's time to separate and divorce and you start looking at finances in detail, uh, there's always things that come back up and always questions about, okay, well, why why there was so much money out of the bank account? Why our debt is so high and why this and why that? 
And I guess it's hard to wrap your head around that if you don't know what happened for the past years and and how much things cost. Sometimes it's just that too. It's like, you know, when you take care of the money, you know how much things cost and you know how much money is coming out every month. When you don't take care of the money, it's harder to kind of put a number on that. Like really, uh, that's one thing I would test depending who takes care of the money, but just kind of, just for fun, just to ask your spouse or partner, how much do you think it costs every month? Like how much money do you think comes out of the bank account every month? And what does it include? And I think you'll be surprised to see that a lot of the spouses don't really know. The ones that actually take care of the money know, but if you talk to the other spouse, which kind of doesn't do much on that front, uh, it's hard to imagine how much money comes out of your bank account for different things related to the house, related to the kids, I mean, all the extra expenses. And so it's hard to, to imagine that. So that's why I guess at the end, when both parties look at it, and again, if you talk about separation and divorce, it's not maybe the best uh, time to sit down and be calm. So everybody's a bit stressed and anxious and everything else and on the edge. So when money comes up and you start looking at the numbers, uh, yeah, the first thing is like, oh, well, it shouldn't cost that much and you're hiding money or you took out money for this or this and that. So that's a really a big uh, cause of friction. At least it was in my experience for sure. So uh, I had to sit down and at one point go through pretty much every purchase and every things that, that happened in the past years and try to justify that in a way. So that wasn't too, too fun. But one thing uh, I would say is I think it's important for both parties to be aware of the finances. Maybe not both of them have to take care of them, but at least be aware of what's coming in and out and really have an idea of this. And, and maybe it's just a matter of like, you know, once a month or once a couple of months, sit down and say, hey, look, this is what's been happening. This is what came out, came in. And, and uh, especially if you have a joint account, usually you put the money in and nobody really has to do much more. So money comes in and out and quite easily. So yeah, by doing that, I think that can definitely avoid a lot of conflicts and mistrust as well. Uh, one thing I'm talking about knowing what comes in and comes out and maybe another thing that I learned is uh, I think it's important for people in the couple to know all the bank accounts that you have. You know, it's not only like when money comes in and out, but to be aware of bank accounts, where the money comes from, what are the bank accounts used for, um, be aware of the mortgage, how much it is, how much is left, the credit cards and looking at the statement as well. Uh, I'm not saying like everybody should scrutinize the credit card statement, but be aware at least that the different credit cards and what they're used for. You can have each your own credit card, but the credit card can be used for personal stuff and it can also be used for family stuff. So I think that's important to uh, to look at that as well and, and be aware of that. And uh, like I said, at the end of the day, when you look at a divorce, a lot of the conflicts, they really start with not knowing what's been happening and kind of being in the dark and making assumptions as well. The more aware you are about the finances, the better it is at the end. That said too, I mean, one thing that during the relationship that might be uh, good to do and setting up rules on expensive spending. Uh, in my case, not that we both could buy, well, actually we, 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 we could buy pretty much anything and there wasn't, we never really set any rules. So it was really, if you need money, you take it out and that's it. But there's some couples that do. So again, that also puts a bit more control and visibility on what's coming in and out and uh, avoids conflicts as well. Another thing that I kind of learned uh, 
maybe a bit too late. It was after the divorce when I was faced with dealing with the money and the lack of money as well, because there was a lot of things to pay. Um, it was setting out a budget. Uh, it's really a pain to set up a budget and to follow the budget even more. But really, that gives you a great idea where you go. The thing is with budgets is when everything goes well, <laughs> people don't use budget because you know what? There's money coming in and out. Everything goes well. And usually they're used more when things go south a little bit. And and that was my case too. I mean, during my uh, years of marriage, we never really made any budgets. I mean, money was coming in and out. There was enough and, and it was it was all good when the, we decided to separate and all of a sudden I had to take care of pretty much the finances because I was the only one working. So I had to pay kind of two kind of two parallel lives in a way. So one that was the house and the mortgage and also uh, the apartment I was living in and all the expenses and everything else. And the, at that point, everything was quite high and expensive. So uh, that's where I decided to to set up a budget and to see where the money was going. And I guess at that point, I didn't really have a choice because there was a lot of money going out and more money going out than coming in at that point. So that was stressful, but having a budget to kind of look at where things went was helping a little bit. Sometimes it was stressing me even more than helping, but at least I knew where I was, you know, where everything stood and uh, I knew what was coming up. So that was a good thing that I decided to make. And if there's one tip I can give is to kind of make a budget, maybe even before or when you start thinking about separating or having a divorce. And maybe one of the things with your spouse, if you can, or at least for yourself, is to kind of make a little budget and see what it looks like and what it would look like. For example, if, uh, you know, I decide to get an apartment or we have to uh, buy furnitures and things like that. So... So I think that's something important. And one thing, uh, if I can spend a few minutes more on budgets, there's a lot of tools out there. And honestly, at that point, for me, it was difficult because, again, I was taking care of all the expenses and they were coming out from everywhere. And uh, my issue was there was money coming in, but really it was kind of looking at the timing of things coming in and out and when I, when I needed to transfer money, for example, or when I was in the red. So a lot of tools out there, what they do is you do your budget and every month it says, okay, uh, for this month, you're minus $1,000. And so you need $1,000 or whatever. But that for me wasn't good enough. So I started looking for a tool because what was happening with the monthly budget is it wasn't giving you, it was giving you a month to month budget and it was sometime too late. And it's like, sometimes it was saying, oh yeah, at the end of the month, I'm minus a thousand, but it's just because couple of days during the month, I was in negative, but then a couple of days I was in a positive. And so it wasn't really giving me a, a good picture on that. And again, you get paid different days and, you know, there's the bills coming out other days. So I really wanted to have a more kind of detailed view on that. And uh, so I started looking and I find a pretty good tool that was uh, basically kind of a calendar. And every day you could actually put your expenses so you could click on a day and say, okay, on the first, I get my paycheck. So you click on the first, put your paycheck there, kind of recurring every first of the month. And you could have your rent and things like that. So so instead of having a monthly view, what really, really helped me is I had a daily view. So I knew exactly during my month that the second week of uh, March, well, for a couple of days, I was in the red. 
but I would get paid after and I would get back in the green. And the good thing is I could move things around as well, saying, oh, instead of paying my phone bill this day, I would pay it that day. And that would make like, you know, an extra day, maybe green instead of red. And so things could be uh, moved around. So that really helped me kind of plan everything and have a better view of uh, what was coming. And the good thing is, again, by putting that, you knew exactly every month where you stood and also every day of the week. And it was giving a good uh, a good indication on how to move things. So uh, that's, I have to say, that's one tool that really, really helped me through all this. And even though it didn't bring me more money, <laughs> I wish it did. A lot of times it was uh, in the negative, but at least I could act on it and try to move things around and try to figure out a way to uh, keep everything under control. So that's one thing that really helped me and I wanted to share with you all as well. There's not a lot of tools like this, but I found one or two that uh, actually I'm using one that's actually really helpful. So, so that was kind of good. So that was for the tool and like I said, all the finances on that front. Uh, one of the things that I think is important to think about, I mean, we talk about basically having to pay uh, the house expenses and the kids and whatever you had to pay before. But now what happens is if you decide to go with a lawyer and get a counsel, well, obviously this is also pretty expensive. So in Canada, there's also a retainer that they might ask you. So depending on the lawyer that you go and you pick, uh, it might change. So most of the time they'll ask your retainer, it might be a couple thousand dollars that they'll use to pay for the lawyer fee. But I kind of looked up the legal professional fees here in Quebec and that changes obviously the rest of Canada and the US as well. But I guess what they said in Quebec, the median hourly rate for lawyers is between $184 and $331 per hour. So that's what you have to pay. So obviously you try to minimize those hours uh, with the lawyer and that's exactly why having an agreement before and doing a lot of the the work ahead uh, really, really helps. And if you can stay in mediation even, here again in Canada, you get uh, five hours free of mediation uh, if you have kids. So uh, usually people will use that. I know I used that at first. So we went to mediators at first and uh, tried to see what could be done. And we sat down with them and tried to get a plan and tried to agree. Uh, if that doesn't work, usually you have to kind of rely on, on, on lawyers, which are obviously more expensive. Uh, one thing too, even if you stay with a mediator, I mean... Uh, it's also, they also recommend that you use a lawyer as well to review the agreement. So even if you come up with an agreement between, even with our mediators, uh, it's always recommended. And even on my side, I have to say like, that was kind of, a, I mean, cost me a lot of money in lawyers for different reasons, but the review of the agreement and the comments I got and, and everything else was really, really worth uh, the money. Just to have kind of a peace of mind and uh, knowing that this has been looked at uh, legally, and there's things you might have not thought about that really helped me uh, on that front to uh, to get a good uh, kind of solid agreement and and knowing your rights as well and knowing what you can do and cannot do and what you should do or not and at least having more discussions with uh, with people that are that have experience on that so that's uh, definitely a big uh, a big part of uh, the money <laughs> that will go out during a, a divorce and uh, obviously, if you can keep that as a minimum, it's a big, yeah, definitely a big plus. So um, 
One thing to keep in mind, I mean, I talked about that before and things to pay and the money that goes in and out. And I even mentioned sometimes, you know, if you have joint account or if you have joint credit cards, uh, what happened until you get an agreement, at least it's kind of the statue quo that they call. So in theory, you're not allowed to take out money. Well, you can take out money to pay expenses and things like that, but you can't just say, I'll just take out $10,000 to do X or Y. And and uh, the credit card too, you can't just uh, cancel the credit cards or you can't just uh, uh, kind of cancel the joint account. You can't stop making payments. So if you had a joint account and you were paying the mortgage, you can't just say one day, you know what, I'm st- I'm stopping paying the mortgage and things like that. So even though you know you're separating and you have joint accounts and maybe it's not always on the best terms, uh, you can't just really pull out and just say, you know what, starting tomorrow, I'm not paying anything. I'm not doing anything. Uh, so that's one thing to keep in mind. So what will happen once you start mediation or once you start looking at the money, obviously there'll be the family uh, patrimony that you look at. So we talk about money and bank accounts, but also everything you have in your house and and what do you do with the house? Uh, we sell the house, we sell what's inside. And usually, again, if you're married here, I will take at least in Quebec, uh, you get 50-50. So both spouse get 50-50 or pretty much everything. That's the kind of the basic. Yeah, a lot of people can say that it's not fair. <laughs> I mean, you read the groups and sometimes it's interesting to see how much uh, people are complaining that it's not fair. Because sometimes, let's say it's a husband that works or that's been working for 30 years and paying for everything, paying for the house, paying for everything. But at the end of the day, Everybody gets 50%. It might not seem fair, but the wife uh, in, in in the marriage also probably did other things, you know, raise a family or took care of the kids and, and things like that. So there's obviously a cost of doing that as well. So even though it sounds like it might not be fair, in my opinion, I mean, I never had an issue with that. And I think it's actually fair on, on both sides. But you can see a lot of complaints. And I, I go on some... Uh, some Facebook groups or even uh, some uh, subreddit and a lot of uh, men are complaining about that. And and I've seen actually uh, a few women complaining about that because uh, obviously it can be the opposite too. There's some women that have uh, very good jobs and that are paying for everything and some husbands are not working or just decided to stay home. So, so at first glance, it might not look fair and uh, can't understand why. But at the same time, again, everybody's contributing uh, in their own way to the marriage. So uh, I think that's kind of the least that can be done is to split the 50-50. So I talk about the family patrimony. Obviously the things in the house get split. There's different things that can be done. You can basically pick what you want to keep or not and sell it, do garage sales and things like that, which is interesting. I mean, in my case, uh, (laughs) and I know I'm not the only one because I talk to other people, uh, some of my friends too. Obviously it's a bit of a difficult situation because in my case, for example, I was in the house and I rented an apartment and you get to a point where it's difficult to say, you know what, I'll take half the stuff and move it in my apartment because it's a lot smaller than the house. So uh, yeah, in my case, I decided to leave pretty much everything there and just bring things that I needed for my apartment. So that might happen as well. But uh, I guess you have the right to 50% of, of what's inside the, inside the house. And again, that can be discussed during the agreement. So I talk about the house too. We talk, you know, to keep on the money subject, the house is a big uh, a big part of the equity, often of the family and of the uh, the marriage. So 
depending on that, again, this goes usually 50-50 unless there's agreed upon for a different percentage. Uh, but this is a big thing. And sometimes, like in my case, you know, a lot of equity was in the house and having to pay a mortgage and pay, let's say, my apartment. And it was a bit of a, a long process to sell the house. So the equity was kind of stuck in there and, and you accumulate more debt and things like that. So the house can be a bit of a contentious point. And uh, sometimes, again, uh, when you discuss with your spouse, maybe for the kids, uh, one of them want to keep the house so that's kind of a, easier on the kids and you know you have a, a place that it's a less big change than going into a new place and selling the house and everything else but again that's one thing that I have to be discussed as well and see how it's taken how you deal with it if if you split the house 50 50 you sell it and split the money or uh, sometimes one of the spouse might buy the other ones out so we can buy the other half uh, if you can Sometimes it's not possible or sometimes it might be other agreements to kind of keep paying the mortgage for X years. And, you know, after that time, the house can be sold. So, again, this is pretty flexible on that one. But uh, I guess that's one thing to keep in mind that uh, if you have a lot of liquidity in the house, that definitely might be a problem uh, during the separation. Uh, you need to have at least a good cushion of money <laughs> to be able to pay the expenses and everything else. Uh, so, I mean, I talked about the house and the, the joint accounts and everything else. And, and one thing to keep in mind, and there's some stories that are no problem. And, you know, the joint account is basically split and cancel and everything else. And there's other stories where one of the spouse will take money out and just so it gets a bit more difficult or not pay their share or their part. One thing to keep in mind is the credit score. <laughs> I mean, when you have a joint bank account and joint credit card and everything else, you can decide not to pay. But what you have to realize too, that it affects the credit score of the two spouses. So by thinking that I won't pay the mortgage because the other spouse doesn't want to pay their share and I rather the mortgage not to be paid, well, you have to realize that this is affecting your credit score as well. And, um, you might kind of get in trouble after all this. So so that's one thing as well to keep in mind. And I think the, to try to keep it up and <laughs> to keep the expenses paid and everything that has to be paid, paid, uh, even though in some situation might be difficult. So um, I think the key here, and I always say that, but <laughs> for sure the key here is if you can do an amicable divorce and actually come up with an agreement, I mean, you'll definitely save a lot of money. Um, if you get too greedy and if you want more and if you want to fight for it, well, there's lawyers that come in and it's expensive. And uh, after a couple of years doing that, for example, in my case, it took a good three years. I mean, lawyer fees add up and you don't realize that you have your lawyer fees and you have your spouse's lawyer fees. So if you add those up, it's a lot of money wasted for pretty much nothing because honestly, I mean, in my case, if I look at the end, I don't think, you know, there's nobody that wins at the end. And I don't think after spending that much money on lawyers, uh, anybody came out a winner in there. So you might think so, but I don't think anybody came out a winner. Um, when you look at the money that was spent, uh, it's quite a lot of money. And in my mind, at the end of the day, uh, you know, everybody says, oh, it's all about the kids. If you have kids, obviously, I think those might be the one the most affected, right? Because 
again, a lot of money is spent and you might get in money trouble. And at the end of the day, if you're in money trouble, I mean, you your life gets affected, but it's the kids that pay for it indirectly. Uh, you know, I can eat uh, macaroni and cheese every day, but uh, and maybe my kids could too, actually. That's maybe not the best example, but what I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, all that money could have been uh, spent on something else or even shared and kept. I mean, if you spend, for example, $50,000 on lawyers, that's $25,000 each that you could have had and either use for something else or keep for yourself or give to your kids and things like that. So that's what people don't really think, you know. They fight, fight, fight for years and they, they stack up lower fees. And at the end of the day, they don't get much more than what, you know, they might think they won because uh, they managed to get a few thousand dollars more on the house or they managed to get uh, some extra item. But when you look at the lawyer fees, well, at the end of the day, they, everybody uh, wasted money and lost money. Yeah, that's something that you don't always think about, but it's a reality. And uh, and again, uh, you know, I was mentioning before, maybe one of the mistakes I made and something I would also maybe as a tip. Uh, I know people try to be friendly at the beginning, you know, that's what I tried to do, do mediation and try to get an agreement between us without involving any any lawyers or but I think thinking back now, I would have probably recommend to have a lawyer as soon as possible. Just because again, there's some I mean, you don't think about it, right? The only thing you think about is I don't want to pay the lawyer, so I'll try to push him as late as possible. But what you don't think is kind of the indirect cost that this is costing. So for example, if you say, you know what, it took a year in mediation and it still didn't work, and after you pay a lawyer, you might say, oh, you know what, I saved a year of lawyers, which is not really true because um, what happens is during that year, you still have to kind of pay all the expenses. And in my case, for example, I had to pay all the expenses for both places, like my apartment and the house and everything else. So there was a lot of expenses. So if you add those up for that year, it's a lot of money. <laughs> And after that, you have to start paying lawyers and everything else. So uh, as opposed to have started with a lawyer and hire a lawyer and kind of go with that and get pushed a little bit more, yes, you would have had probably a bit more lawyer fees, but I think at the end of the day, the, they would have gone faster and I think it might have been even cheaper. And uh, so so that's one thing that, at least in my case, that I noticed and definitely would have helped. And again, I think the thing you have to keep in mind is, is it's not because you go with a lawyer uh, right off the bat that you want to basically, it's a bad thing and you want to try to screw the other person. It's really to protect yourself and you can get a lawyer and, you know, it's just like I found that they kind of help you out going through the process. They push uh, to make sure things happen and they're done properly and that's it. I mean, at the end of the day, if you get a good lawyer, they will listen to you and uh, they'll be there to help you out. Well, that was today's episode about money. And I'm sure that won't be the last time we talk about money. It's always a subject that seems to come back. So uh, if you have any questions or comments or uh, suggestions, please feel free to leave me a voicemail. Or if you're a bit more shy, you can send me an email as well. So, and if you like the show or if you uh, have any comments about the topic for this uh, for today, you can uh, go on my website and on that website, you'll find everything you need, www.thedivorcedaddiaries.com. Uh, I can also be 
uh, reached uh, by email thedivorcedaddiaries at gmail.com or you can also reach me on Facebook as well for the Divorce Dad Diaries and Twitter, Instagram as well. So I can be reached pretty much everywhere. Uh, if you want to have more information, again, if you go on the website and you see in the contact page, uh, you'll see there there's, uh, there's actually buttons to uh, for social media and you can contact me everywhere, anywhere you want. That's the kind of a one-stop for, for everything. And I will start also putting some news and sometimes if I have any documents or uh, things I want to share as well, they'll be on the website. And uh, again, I'm open. If you have any uh, suggestion, what I should put on the website and what you'd like to see, uh, what type of information or things you will want me to add or or kind of dig up a little bit, uh, I'll be more than happy to do it and make it available to you. So so again, just uh, shoot me an email. I'll be. Uh, it will be my pleasure. That said, I hope you all have a great week and uh, really looking forward to the next episode and uh, have you back uh, listening to it as well. Keep safe and we'll talk later. Bye-bye.